Amen. Hey, it's so good to see you all this morning. I was just sitting there worshiping. I love, I love Sundays. Don't y'all love Sundays? It's like, it is my favorite day. I was just thinking, Lord, you know, if I die, I don't want to die right now, but if I die, I'd just assume die doing this right here. My dad used to say he wanted to die on the deer stand. I guess I say I want to die in the pulpit. Um, it's just so good to see you, and it's so uplifting to be together as a church body, and there's a reason the Lord tells us to do this. I'm just glad you're here today. we got a good word for you. It's going to come from Jeremiah, and I want you to calm down if you get worried about Jeremiah. It's a pretty depressing text, to be honest with you. We only got about another week in it, so, um, and then we're moving on. Uh, but, uh, but I want you to stand today and hear the reading of Scripture. It's from Jeremiah 4, and it's verses 11 through 12, and then we skip ahead to 22 through 28. Jeremiah 4, 11 through 12, and then 22 through 28. It says, At that time, uh, this people in Jerusalem will be told, A scorching wind will come from the barren heights, and the desert blows towards my people, but not to winnow or cleanse. A wind too strong for that comes from me. Now I pronounce my judgments against them. My people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. I looked at the earth, and it was formless and empty, and at the heavens, and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking. The hills were swaying. I looked, and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked, and the fruitful land was a desert. All its towns lay in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. And this is what the Lord said, The whole land will be ruined, though I will not destroy it completely. Therefore the earth will mourn, and the heavens above grow dark, because I have spoken and will not relent. I have decided I will not turn back. The word of, the go- uh, the word of God for the people of God." Thanks be to God. Amen. You can be seated. Um, let me pray for us. I'm getting ahead of myself. Father, I just ask that you bless the teaching preaching this word. Never want to get ahead of you, Lord. So I just ask you to bless this today and ask this in your mighty and powerful name. Amen. Um, if you were alive, do you remember where you were on this day uh, 21 years ago? Some of you were not alive, but you probably do remember where you were if you were alive on September 11, 2001. I remember exactly where I was. I was walking into the PA building at Clemson. If you're familiar with the PA building, it's where all of us agriculture people used to be a lot. And I had an economics class in there. And I walked into the building, and it was so weird because I had all these classrooms. There's one big hall down the middle where I entered. And, and I, I remember um, I walked in, it was just dead silent. And, uh, and, I, and everybody was in this room. There was a crowd of people in this room. Nobody was talking. And I walked into the room, and, and one of the professors, I guess, had let the screen down that they teach on, and they had put the news on there. It was, I think it was CNN. And, and, and I remember it just was showing um, this repeated image of a Boeing 767 plane just hitting the Twin Towers. And it looked something like that. That's the best picture I could get. I know the pixel quality isn't that great, but you probably remember remember this and it didn't even seem real it was just this really surreal feeling like we were all standing there and history was being made because America was being attacked on its own soil and I remember they canceled classes and I made my way back to Lightsea Bridge if you're a Clemson person you know that walk and walking across the bridge and just thinking about it and I got to my apartment and my roommates were there because they had canceled all classes and found out that um, another plane had hit the tower, and one had hit the Pentagon. And, and I just pulled a few pictures. Like I know you all probably remember this if you were alive, and that was literally the plane about to hit the second tower. 
And then I remember like just these crazy images, and I think I've got one more. Um, it, it was just so surreal. And then the people jumping from the buildings and, and, and the people running from the smoke and debris and the, and the people that were, um, that were buried in there. And then the towers collapsed. And, you know, it was just this, like those buildings, at, when they were built, those were the tallest buildings. At the time they were built, those were the tallest buildings in the world. They were really kind of icons for, um, for, for the American people in some ways. And I remember picking up the phone and calling my family. I don't know if y'all do this, but I just remember picking up the phone because you didn't know what was next. And you called your family and you were like, man, I just want to tell y'all I love you. No idea what's going to happen. And, and, um, and it was so horrific. And I think it was the first time many of us had ever really felt America be shaken. You have to remember some World War II vets and such were still alive at that time. Still are today, but, but not many. And, and, um, and, and they, were, they probably understood it. But, but for us, I mean, it was just this really, really weird feeling that like security had been breached and the enemy had made its way into our, into our country. I start with that today because I want you to think about the emotion you felt if you were there or you imagine if you were not alive at that time. One, because it's important for us to remember where we're from. Because if we don't know where we're from, we don't know where we really are and understand why we are where we are. And it's important for you kids to know the history behind things like this. History is incredibly important for us, by the way. But also I want you to know this, uh, feel this emotion because it's kind of the emotion that I imagine when we look at the people of Judah in the book of Jeremiah, it's kind of the emotion um, that they were dealing with because they actually, if, you, if you've been here the past few weeks, we've talked about the temple of God was destroyed. Do y'all remember me talking about this? That Jeremiah had this vision that God's temple was going to be destroyed, the place where God actually resided and Nebuchadnezzar would be the one that would pillage and, and, and tear down the, the temple and the people would be taken into Babylonian captivity. And when we read this today, we just kind of go, oh, okay, well, the temple was destroyed. They went into Babylonian captivity. Let's move on to chapter 37 or whatever. But think about actually putting yourself in their shoes and the emotion they must have faced when they were there in the temple of God that had taken, that had taken so long, seven years, 180,000 workers to build that the temple was destroyed. You think about this, that's where God was. Actually, I mean, God was not residing in us. Jesus hadn't come yet, and the, and, and the Spirit of God was there, and it fell all the way to the ground. And imagine the emotion, if you're the people of Israel, and imagine, think about um, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah just has a vision of this. It hasn't happened yet, and so we're reading, and he's prophesying to the people, and he's saying, man, the temple of God is going to be destroyed, and he's dealing with the emotion. You know, we had 3,000 people die in 9-11, and you think about just the weight of that. What if you had a vision that 9-11 was going to happen? And you were the only one, and you were the voice of the prophet, and you were trying to speak to America and say, this is going to happen. That's kind of probably the weight that Jeremiah felt. He knew that the temple was going to be destroyed, and the people were going to be taken into Babylonian captivity, and he's one man. And you begin to understand why, if you read the 52 chapters, or how many chapters is in Jeremiah, why it's so depressing. And he's in a cistern. He's down in an old water well, and he's in there, and he's, he's, he's depressed, and everybody's abandoned him. And God actually tells him, he says, just quit praying for the people. Just quit praying for them because they're in such a mess. But Jeremiah, because he has a heart for the people, he continues to pray for them. It actually says in chapter 7 of Jeremiah, if you read it, that God told him to stop praying for the people because they were in such trouble. And Jeremiah didn't stop. 
Now you think about having a love for a people enough that they were that rebellious that God says, don't pray for them anymore, and Jeremiah just keeps on praying. And he's crying out for the people. You know, the question, I guess, I'm going to wrap up Jeremiah next week for us. Just because people are telling me, like, gosh, Justin, I'm entering into a Great Depression on Sundays from this preaching. But I'm like, okay, one more week. Just deal with me. But, um, but you know, I ask myself, like, what, what's the point of the whole book? Like, and, and I've just, we just finished in our Bible reading together. We read the Bible in a year, and we just, we just read through Jeremiah. And what I took from it at the end of it is just like, man, God just wants us to be obedient to him. And he wants us to repent of our sin. Like, I think I've preached that pretty much that same message for the past six weeks. But I have nothing on Jeremiah who preached that message for 40 years. So you kind of have to get over it. But he really wanted, uh, like, he wants us to be obedient and to repent of our sin. And like, I'm going to preach that and continue preaching that because I think that's what God wants from us. And when Jesus came, it's not like all that changed. Like Jesus comes and we go, no, nah, we don't need to repent or, or be obedient anymore. Like it's even more important because he sent his son to die for us. He cared that much that he wants us to turn from our evil ways and to follow him. And it's not like I got one big issue. I'm like, everybody needs to repent of this. It's not like that. We all need to repent. Every single one of us need to repent of our ways daily and seek after him. This is not one of those messages where you go, yeah, Justin, get those people that need to repent, that group of people. This is not a group of people. It's us. It's, it's people who are alive. We all are sinful beings. And I know sometimes you hear that over and over but it's what Jeremiah is saying. He's like, just be obedient. Just seek God and follow God. Because here's what you need to know. There were false prophets in the days of Jeremiah who were telling the people, you're all good. You don't need to repent. You're at peace with God. And Jeremiah is going, don't listen to them. You're not at peace with God. In fact, Jeremiah 23, 16 through 18. Look at this. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. Don't listen. There's false prophets, right? They will fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? In other words, they're proclaiming peace. But God's like, you're not at peace with me. You've got to repent. If anybody ever tells you repentance is not needed to be at peace with God, that God is just a God of love, don't listen to them. We need to repent before we stand before our Heavenly Father. That would be like saying to a, a woman who is committing adultery on her husband, like, don't worry about it. He's all good. I can promise you, he's not good because you're committing adultery. When we fall in love with idols, when we worship the things of the world, we're committing adultery on God. We're going after something that we love more than him. We all do that to a degree, and we need to repent of it and seek him and seek obedience. That's where the tension still lies today is that so many people, I think, just preach that God is love. And he is love. The Bible tells us that. It's very clear that he is love. God is love. But he also requires repentance to stand in his presence because he is a very, 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 
very, very, infinitely very holy God who we cannot come before without repentance. So we live, I think, in a day sometimes where when we tell people to turn from their evil ways, whatever it is, that's not socially acceptable. Like People don't want to hear, turn from your evil ways. Nobody wants to be called evil. But we are all inherently sinful. Jeremiah 4, 11 through 12. This is what he says. And I'm not going to go back through all the scripture today because it says the same thing over and over and over. It's like, be obedient and repent and y'all are horrible and bad. And I'm not going through all that. But just listen to what Jeremiah 4, 11 through 12 says again. It says, at that time, this people in Jerusalem will be told... A scorching wind from the barren heights in the desert blows towards my people, but not to winnow or cleanse. In other words, this is not a good wind. A wind too strong for that comes from me. Now I pronounce my judgments against them. This is God saying, this is not a gentle wind. It's not a wind to cool you down or blow away the bad things. This is a disastrous wind that's going to bring ruin and of course, they're going, to be, they're going to go into captivity with the Babylonians. The temple will be knocked down. The people will go into captivity. And the, and the people don't want that. But the only way to avoid the captivity is to repent. And God's like, if you would just repent from your ways, if you would just turn and be obedient to me, I will pull back. God does this over and over and over in Scripture. He goes, if you would just follow me, if you would just do what I say. And then the people are rebellious, and they don't do what he says. Sometimes repentance is the only thing that puts us in a right relationship with God. Sometimes repentance is just what's needed. It's the only thing that can right our relationship with God. Let's just say you're living in an adulterous relationship, and you're going to try to figure out how to fix that without repentance. Well, you can sneak around. You can talk to your spouse and see if they're okay with it, um, which they're probably not going to be. Um, you can finagle and lie, um, but really, truly, the only way to fix that, if it's fixable, is to repent. To say that you're sorry to, to your spouse and to God, and to be obedient to God's word. In other words, just turn from your sin. Like, like we, make it, we try to make it really complicated, and if you're struggling with, a, with that kind of relationship, man, just, just hear this. Sometimes we make it really complicated, but it's like God just goes, no, just repent of that and, and, and just confess and, and, and follow me. It's like using his name in vain. Like, have, have you done that one? I've done this one. I'm a pastor, and I've done this one. Like, you, you, like, you almost, somebody almost runs into you or creams you, and, and you, some reason you curse God for it. Like, there's really no way to fix that without repentance. Like, you can't just kind of like, you know, lie to God. Like, he knows what you said. You cursed him. The only way to fix it is repentance. Just to go, God, man, I'm sorry, and just to seek after him. Maybe you're gossiping about somebody. Well, you really can't fix gossip. I mean, you can try, you can lie and say you didn't do it, but God knows that you did it. So the only way to really fix that is to actually repent of your sin and, and be obedient to him. We can try to navigate life without obedience to God or without repentance, but it's impossible because it's necessary to come before him. Jeremiah 4, 1 through 4, uh, Jeremiah makes it really clear, speaking for God, he says, if you, Israel, will return... Then return to me, declares the Lord. In other words, like, hey, if you're going to just, just come to me, now's your chance. 
If you put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, and if in a truthful, just, and righteous way you swear, as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will invoke blessings by him, and in him they will boast. In other words, man, just turn to me and follow me and I'll bless you. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. He's like, I just want your heart. I just want your heart. That's what God says. I just want your heart. Like, I don't just want your obedience. I just don't want you to do what I say you want me to do because you're scared of me. He's a good father. He loves you. He's like, just turn from your ways and seek after me. I want your heart. I want you to love me and do the right thing because you care about me. Y'all understand this, right? Like God's not just trying to smash you and bash you and judge you and condemn you. Like God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you on the cross. He loved you that much. Imagine taking your child and putting them on the cross because you love somebody that much. That's how much God loves you. He loves you that much. Y'all understand that? Are y'all with me? Y'all balcony people with me? I see y'all up there. Y'all with me too? All right, y'all waving. Y'all with me? All right. I mean, God loves us. He loves us. Like, we read the scripture, we're like, oh my gosh, he's a judgeful, vengeful, hateful God. And it's like, no, no, no. He's like, turn. Turn from your ways and seek after me. It's not just about the action of turning, which is repentance. You turn because you love him, not because you're afraid of him. Oh man, James 4, 7 through 10, it says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and listen, he will flee from you. If you're facing temptation, resist him and he will flee from you. Try and God will help you. He will run. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Man, that's a good word. It's like just get on your knees and cry and mourn and cry out to him and say, God, forgive me for who I am. I love you. I'm so sorry that I'm broken and I've done this. And he'll meet you halfway. He'll meet you halfway. Remember the story of the prodigal son, like he's running. The father just embraces him. Oh, man, we all have something that comes to mind when we think of these kind of things. I mean, we can name sins. You always get dangerous when you start naming sins, you know. But just I was thinking about I was like, gosh, all these different stages of my life. And I remember one of the cultures that I kind of dealt with in my 20s. And I remember um, I never really heard this talked about from the pulpit much. But I remember when people living together before they were married. I remember this. I remember this being a big issue I never heard people talk about much and and this was just on my heart today to, to think about this because I've met a lot of people lately who have been talking about living together before marriage and telling me that, gosh, man, that's, God does, that doesn't break God's heart anymore. And that's, God doesn't have an issue with that. And I, I, I've just been thinking about, man, when I was that age and, and, and people uh, living in sin before marriage, man, and, and people just saying that's not wrong anymore. And, and you know, the, the, the Bible is, is very clear about that, that God is, tells us to, to save ourselves for marriage. Uh, and, and I know that, that's a hard issue, but, but man, I was just thinking about this week. I just had a conversation with somebody, and they were arguing with me like, no, we, we, we want, they want anybody from the church, but they were just saying, I, I, we just want to live together and try this out and see if it works. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, do it God's way, because if you try it out without marriage and the covenant of marriage that God has for you, it's different than trying it out without the covenant. Like, like, just what I'm saying is like, just remember that God calls us to be holy. 
Like, there's all these things, these sins that we could name, but that's just one I dealt with this week that I was just like, man, come on. Like, we, we've got to remember to do things God's way. Like, he loves us, and he, he, he died for us. See, the Holy Spirit, man, I, I, remember, I remember being in my 20s, I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me and just being like, Justin, man, I'm calling you to live a holy life, and not everybody around you is living a holy life. And I'll just say to you, if you're young and you're single and you're dating, man, just think about this, man. Just think about God calling you to live a holy life. What does that look like? It's hard today to live a holy life in him, a life that honors him and a life that glorifies him. It's tough, but God calls us to live a holy life in obedience to him. And as I was talking to this person, I just said, man, I said, just... Listen, if you obey him and if you seek after him, he will honor you. Treat that girl with honor and with respect. Don't move in with her. Don't do it. Don't live together. Well, we, 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 we're, it's our second. We've already been married and this is our second. We're going to live together. Don't do that, man. Honor God. Honor him. Honor the marriage bed. Like, it's just, I guess I just say to our culture, like, come on, man. Like, love him, seek after him. None of us are perfect. But you know, the world is so broken. We're told uh, in Ephesians, it says to, to, honor, to honor, and I said this to, to this guy that I was speaking with, it says to honor our wife's body and treat it wholly without blemish. And I shared that with him, and I said, man, just, just be obedient to God. Just be obedient, man, and honor that girl. See, God will honor us if we will repent. If we will turn from our ways and seek after him, he will bless us. See, John 14, verse 15 says this. It says, if you love me, keep my commands. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 32, verse 5 says this, then I acknowledge my sin and did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Psalm 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. There's so many practical things we could talk about in this sermon about how do we live a holy and righteous life. Take captive your thoughts. That's a sermon that we could preach. Flee from temptation, pray continuously. We don't have time for all that today, but like I said, it, it, just read the text and God just goes, man, just seek after me. I don't know if anybody needs to hear this message today and you're there and you're like, man, this message is convicting my heart, but just seek him and follow him and let go of whatever it is that's holding you back. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 God actually tells the people, he says, man, even though you're sinful, I will not completely destroy you. And here's why, because he has a covenant with those people. You see, we have a covenant God, and this is what I want you to hear, and this would be a great sermon series about the covenants of God. But he had a covenant with the people of Israel, and he promised to hold that covenant. And listen to what he says, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not... Be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Listen to what he says. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. 
After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Listen, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is what God's saying. I got a new covenant that's coming. It's Jesus Christ. And everybody's going to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will be the new covenant that all of us are under today. It's the blood of the new covenant. When Jesus died on the cross, he's saying to the people, there's a savior and a Messiah who is coming. And I am so disappointed with you. I'm going to crush the temple. In fact, he'd do it again in 70 AD. If you remember this after Jesus, I'm going to send you into Babylonian captivity, but I will not forsake you. I am sending a savior. And folks, we stand underneath the victory of Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross and we are under a new covenant. That's the covenant that he's talking about. He's like, I'm not just going to stomp you out and do and just judge you and be done with you. I'm sending a savior. I'm sending Christ. It's such good news. See, restoration would come to Judah and all of Israel. That temple that was destroyed would be rebuilt. And once again, it would be destroyed again. But Jesus was coming to establish something that could never be torn down. Jesus was coming to send the Holy Spirit that would reside where? In us. See, this is what Israel didn't know. And when the temple was torn down, I bet they all stood there kind of like we did at 9-11. And I don't know if you went to the 9-11 site. I went there pretty shortly after it was, uh, after it was knocked down. I remember standing at the site, like at ground zero right there. And I remember standing there and just looking at it and going, man, one day there's going to be another building here. And today there is another building there. But I bet the people stood at that temple going, man, I wonder if God has just forsaken us and forgotten about us and where the Spirit of God resided. Man, he's no longer there. And they're handcuffed and they're taken off into Babylonian captivity. But God's going, man, I got a plan for you. I got a plan you can't even imagine. And it's Jesus Christ. And this is all I say to you today. Because I can tell I might be a little more excited about this than y'all are today, but... Um, I'm just guessing, but um, th- this, this, is, this is what the great news was, man, it is, is that that new covenant, like the blood of Jesus, it covers the sins of all of us. And like, man, like nobody's pointing fingers at anybody else about what anybody else is involved in and sin. Listen, we all need repentance, every one of us. So, you know, if, when we name specific sins, we do need to talk about specific sins. Paul did that all the time. But we need to remember, every daggum one of us is broken. Every one of us. And the only way to be right with God is the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so the emotion that we felt as we stood at the tower or as you saw it on TV, or if you went there, man, hey... Um, They felt that emotion when they stood there at the temple. But God, God came back to redeem us. Man, he came back to redeem us. So, um, last thing I want to say to you. Uh, There's a good psalm if you're struggling with repentance and, and just obedience to God. And you're like, man, I don't even know where to begin. It's Psalm 51. I don't have it on the screen. 
but, I, but you may want to open this on your phone, or you might want to open it in your Bible, and it's a good psalm to read, like if you just kind of want to hit your knees. I don't guess I'll read it all today. Um, but it's psalm of, of David, and after he had, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and um, imagine all the heaviness that he was carrying, and David made a lot of mistakes, right? <laughs> made a lot of mistakes, but, but, um, but, but it's just really interesting if you read it. It just sounds like this. I'll read the first few verses, and um, it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, and wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And he says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. And he goes on and talks about creating me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast from me your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's good. We're going to pray. And uh, the band can come back up whenever you guys want. And, uh, and we'll just open the kneeling rails and prayer teams. If y'all want to come up, y'all can whenever you're ready. Um, but I'm just going to pray for us today. And... Uh, and and we'll just take some time um, to offer a place for repentance before the Lord. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, man, Jeremiah is a hard text, Lord Jesus. But gosh, we just thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness and for the cross. We thank you for the new covenant that we stand under, Lord. We thank you that Jesus came and died so that we could have life and life abundantly in you, Lord Jesus. There's so many things that can separate us from you, Lord, but we know that nothing after the death of Christ can separate us, neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor rulers, Father. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. So I just pray today, Lord, that we're able to come forward, to lay down our sin, whatever the sin is, Lord Jesus, whatever it is, man, we just want to lay down and we want to restore and create a pure heart before you. Man, God, we just thank you. Thank you for life in you and thank you for restoration in you, Lord. I pray for somebody today whose heart is broken, who just needed today to come here, Lord, and just lay it out before you. God, we pray that these kneeling rails will be an altar today um, where we can just set down our sins at the foot of the cross we can claim the good name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. And, and hey, Father, somebody today walked in for some reason, somehow, in some way, doesn't know you and doesn't know the name of Jesus. We're reminded that Scripture tells us to confess his name, believe in our heart, and we shall receive salvation. So we open up this time for us to pray with one another, confess our sins together and before you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. The church said, amen. Y'all stand. Let's worship.